This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And I am going to give you some, well, some great Canadian rock. When we when we talk about Canadian rock, and I have been recently, I mean, I, I've interviewed Jim Valance. We talked to Steve Stevens of Billy Idol's band about their tour coming up with Brian Adams. You cannot get much better than my next guest, the one, the only, Mike Reno of Loverboy. And by the way, speaking of, of Jim Valance and Brian Adams, they wrote a song on Loverboy's Get Lucky album called Jump. Now, of course, this came out in the early 80s, before Brian Adams was Brian Adams, and before Jim Valance was Jim Valance, in a sense, right? I mean... You know, Brian and Jim were, were making music for Loverboy. They were doing stuff for Kiss. They were doing all kinds of great songwriting for these great established bands or these great bands that were having these great records. And yet their success came a little bit later. So I've, I've always found that kind of interesting. And of course, since we mentioned Kiss, let us not forget that Loverboy's first show ever, first show ever, was in 1979, opening up for KISS in Vancouver on the KISS Dynasty Tour. And I have spoken to Paul Dean, the guitarist, and I've spoken to Mike and others about that. It is a fascinating, fascinating story. I mean, you know, most bands, when you hear about their first show, you think, well, you played a high school gymnasium, yet you played this incredibly awful bar. And for them... It, it it was Kiss. I mean, hello. To open up for Ace Fraley and Paul Stanley and Gene and, and, and Peter is, is unbelievable. And of course, uh, later on, Paul Dean covered a Kiss song. Well, the, the Kiss song that never was, right? Uh, on his hardcore album, they, he put out a version of a song called Sword and Stone, a, an album that was supposed to be on the Crazy Nights album, it was left off the album, and if you listen to my interview from a couple of months back with producer Ron Nevison, he's like, eh, I don't know why it was left off. If you ask the guys in Kiss, they were like, eh, the producer didn't like it. Either way, Sword and Stone is one of these songs that is absolutely terrific, wonderful. Uh, if you've heard the demo that Kisses, um, the playing on it is great, the singing on it's great, the uh, German band Bonfire covered it. Paul Dean covered it. Everybody has a version and has released it except Kiss. And hopefully, hopefully, as the band is on their uh, end of the road tour, uh, they will start pulling out some merchandise and pulling out some stuff for the fans. And hopefully a remixed and remastered version of Crazy Nights with Sword and Stone as a bonus track would, would will will come out, you know. And and by the way, I say remixed because uh, I know if, if you listen to the Ron Nevison interview that I did, he wanted to get in there and, and strip the keyboards and make it a rock album and not this sort of syrupy suite. And, and can you imagine Crazy Nights you know, stripped of the keyboards and made more as a guitar rock album? I think it would be terrific. Anyway, uh, Loverboy. I have seen Loverboy uh, perform many times. There is just something incredibly impactful about that band. They haven't lost a step. And when you're there and you hear a song like When It's Over or Working for the Weekend 
or turn me loose or you're, you're just like, wow. Um, you know, and, and recently on my socials, I put up this, uh, you know, pick em kind of thing. And I said, well, lover boys get lucky or night rangers dawn patrol. And first of all, uh, people on my socials were like, don't make us pick between those two incredibly great albums. But also, there was a lot of love shown for Get Lucky. Well, and I've always thought, well, you know, as, as Canadians, Canadian fans and Canadian people will go, yeah, Get Lucky. But yet, it, there was this sort of universal around the world, people from, from Scotland and Australia and, and the States going, yeah, we, we love Get Lucky. And of course, and of course, we love Night Rangers, Dawn Patrol. Let's let's not um, you know b b bad mouth them. Anyway, this was exciting for me. I hadn't had a chance to interview Mike before. I've had a chance to meet Mike before, but never interview him. So, without further ado, I will give you the one, the only, iconic. That's right. That's right. Iconic Canadian singer who was doing it before Brian Adams was doing it even though Brian Adams wrote for them. Here is the one, the only, Mike Reno. We are speaking with Loverboy frontman Mike Reno. Of course, uh, the band is on tour May, June, July, August, September. Mike, a uh, pleasure to have you. It's been it's been a couple of years since we last spoke. Um, bonjour, as we say in Montreal. Oh, bonjour, Mitch. Nice to hear from you again. Yes, so let me start with this. The, the band is on tour Every month, uh, at least through September, you you don't stop. Uh, talk to me about the the touring schedule and just getting out there and and still playing after all these years. Here's a band that got started back in '79, and you, you've just never stopped. And you've got the original members. Talk to me about keeping it all together and still moving forward. You know what it is with us is we just love to play concerts. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. This is what we do. We love to play concerts. We love, you know, it's getting a little hard to do the traveling, but we love to play concerts. So that's the main thing. Yeah, and you delivered them at such an incredible thing. Like I said, I saw you in Santia, Saint Quebec, and the show could not have been better. I mean, there just wasn't uh, any possibility. Uh, let me get to recording music. Recently, you put out the song with Jim Pederick and World Stage called Without a Bullet Being Fired on his album Winds of Change. It came out at the end of April spectacular spectacular song so first talk to me how, how did you get to to hook up with jim pederick and for those who folks who may not know him originally of survivor uh the album also has dennis DeYoung and kevin cronin of ario speedwagon stuff uh kelly keegi uh, talk to me about hooking up with with jim and being on that album because that song is spectacular i mean absolutely spectacular Oh, thank you, Mitch. Well, first of all, everyone you just mentioned have become friends of mine over the years. We've done concerts together and hung out together. Jim Pederick, uh, I've known for years, he's put together over the last few years uh, a concert called The World Stage, and he does it in the Chicago area. And it's a beautiful uh, night auditorium. It's usually the show lasts about four hours. All his friends are there playing concert songs that, you know, you know, that they all know. Uh, usually they play their own songs and then jam a little bit. So after doing that a bunch of years, he's asked me if I'd come and write a song with him. And I found the time to do it. I was out doing some Loverboy concerts. Instead of flying home for a few days, I went to Chicago. We uh, got together at his place, uh, wrote a song. And the next day we went into the studio uh, with a bunch of really talented musicians. And we 
cut the saw right off the floor, live, just bang, bang, bang. And that evening, um, went back to his studio at his home, and uh, I sang it. And, you know, a few days later, he mixed it, and uh, yeah, that was it. It was a really easy one. It just really came. It came fast, and it was it was really fun to do. Yeah, and and I certainly recommend folks because it's been stuck in my head for the last three days. I interviewed Jim not too recently, and it's just it's been stuck in my head. But well, let me talk to you about Loverboy and making new music. The last album, Unfinished Business, came out two thousand fourteen, five years ago. Uh, is, is it necessary, or, or or does it? Do you still want to make new music? Do you do you want to get in there after maybe doing this stuff with Jim and writing these songs? Do you want to get back and make a new Loverboy album? Is there a chance that we might see that? Funny, you should mention that. I've been talking to Paul about doing uh, a, a, a album if we do it a certain way. I didn't want to do a piece at a time where one guy comes in and then the next guy comes in. I want to do it when we all go in the studio together like the old days that we just strap on our instruments and we cut a record. That's the way I'd like to do it. I've been talking to him about it. He thinks it's a great idea. So I'm not, uh, I'm not sure when, but I know we're going to get together and do that. And that's going to be the next project for us. And I can tell you as a fan, that's the way I like it. If you listen back to the early Sabbath or the early Led Zeppelin or all these bands where they sort of went in and, and an album was punched out in like 10 days, you know, 50 years later, they still reverberate and some of the new stuff that's been digitized and it just doesn't have soul. I just don't see how it's going to survive. Um, talk to me a little bit about in terms of making new music. Now, you just said that you might go in there with the band live off the floor. Is that do you have to sort of stick to a lover boy sound or now that you've been in it for so long, can you sort of go in and experiment and do something a little bit different? Or is that sort of risking it too much where people might go, yeah, I love Loverboy, but uh, I don't know what this is. Give me, you know, Get Lucky Part 2. Well, to be honest with you, when we go in there and strap on the gear and turn up uh, turn up the uh, amplifiers and jump on the drums and grab a microphone or whatever we're doing... We we can't help but sound like Loverboy. This is just the way it is. You know, even if we played a Tom Petty song, it would sound like Loverboy playing a Tom Petty song. But that's just the way it is. After all these years, this, we have a certain style, and it just shows when we play anything. So uh, I bet it would sound, and I'm just going to say this, it's not going to sound a nouveau, I don't think, in any way. When we go in there, I think it's going to be uh, meat and potatoes. Like you said, the early Led Zeppelin, early ACDC, early Loverboy. I think that's what we're going to do when we go in next. All right, I'm looking forward to that. So so talk to me a little bit about some of the history here. The KISS is currently on their farewell tour, and of course, Loverboy got their start uh, opening for KISS on the Dynasty tour. Very famous story. Uh, first of all, with KISS on the farewell tour and, and sort of putting things in the rearview mirror, has Loverboy gotten to that point where you're starting to think about okay, let's have a five-year plan. It's start. Let's wind this down. Or are you more of the, hey, listen, Chuck Berry uh, and, and some of these other guys, that, and Mick Jagger, they're, they're, you know, they're going to die with their boots on. That's what Loverboy's going to do, too. Where, where do you see yourself? You know, I haven't even thought about retiring other than the fact that one of my leg uh, gets a little sore from sitting on the plane too long. You know, I start thinking about maybe slowing down a bit, but 
I'm going to go as long as Paul Dean wants to go. Paul Dean and I started this band 40 years ago, 41 years ago. We started writing songs for this project that turned into Loverboy. And I'm going to, he's like the ever, ever, uh, ever ready bunny. He just goes and goes and goes. He, he has more fun than, than anybody in the whole band plan. So I'm not going to shut it down until he's ready to shut it down. So I'm going to leave it up to him because I still love what I'm doing. And you should. It's it's at such a high level. All right, so so let me just get you this Kiss story here. Your first band ever. You're not playing a club. You're not playing the high school dance. You're opening for Kiss at the Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver, November 19th, 1979. Uh, the Dynasty show in Montreal that year was my first show ever. So it has a, a great importance to me. But talk to me about that how do you get to open for kiss on the dynasty tour if you're just sort of five ragtag dudes from vancouver with no track record well it all has to do with getting through the border and at at the time they were having i think they had the new york dolls slated to play that night and the raggedy and new york dolls showed up at the uh, border and i think they got turned away because of probably uh, drug offenses of some sort. This is, you know, a lot. In 79, they just said, nope, you're too weird. You're not coming in. And so, uh, as it is, uh, I think their their people just contacted uh, my manager, Bruce Allen, who's, you know, the top guy in town, even still, and said, we need an act for tonight. And uh, he said, I got an act. You know, little did he say that the band hasn't even recorded yet. We're just uh, getting ready to record these guys, and they have never really played a show. But they got they gathered us together, and we jumped on stage. We we, we didn't even have our bass player solidified yet. We were using uh, Jim Clinch from uh, April Wine because he was in town. And he was a friend of ours. So Jim Clinch jumped on stage, and between songs, he had to come over and say, Hey, Mike, how's this next one go? You know, and I'd go, do, 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 <laughs> in his ear. And he'd go, okay, yeah, I remember. And so it, you think uh, it was, we were never, never more nervous. I don't even remember the show, but most of it, because I was so nervous that I, you know, it just kind of blocked out. But we were up there, we played 45 minutes, and uh, we didn't get booed off the stage. So that was the start. You know, that was us. We did it. And we did them a favor, and everybody was happy. I want to get back to to 1985, Loving Every Minute of It, the album, produced by uh, Tom Allen. And, of course, we mentioned Black Sabbath before, and he, he, of course, was a sound engineer on three other albums, worked a lot with Judas Priest. In fact, I think he's famous for Judas Priest. Um, talk to me a little bit about that album, and I'm going to give you two contexts for us. First of all, of course, working with Tom, he, he did all these sort of heavy metal acts. Was was that sort of part of the, the, the thought process behind choosing him, that you wanted to sort of give Loverboy a meatier, crunchier, not necessarily metal sound, but just more of a hard rock sound? Was that sort of the, the genesis for picking him? Actually, the genesis for picking him was that he was available, and we liked that the things that he'd done in the past. But to be honest with you, when you work with Loverboy, you don't really change the change our sound. You just record our sound. But the main thing a producer does with Loverboy is he just organizes and gets things finished, and dots the uh, I's and crosses the T's, and keeps us from killing each other when we have disagreements in the studio. That's really the honest truth about producers with Loverboy. Um, he had a very famous quote that I'll never forget. Towards the end of the day, after recording all day, we'd look in and he'd have, he'd have a tumbler of, 
of scotch, and he'd, he'd just hold it up in the air. He'd go, he'd put in the talk back. He'd go, change nothing immediately. You know, and that really says it all. He says, if everything sounds great, but we're going to wind it up for today and we'll see you all tomorrow. Change nothing immediately. That's you know, funny. Perfect. He, he, he's perfect. great. And of course, that album had all kinds of great people on it. Jonathan Cain from Journey, uh, Mutt Lang, Brian Adams, Jim Valance, uh, who I actually spoke to recently. Uh, but I want to ask you about this in the other context. Uh, Loving Every Minute of It was, to me, one of the first albums or Canadian albums that got a lot of play on much music the other albums before that keep it up and they they um, yeah they, they seem to be a little bit before um how important they were was... actually on mtv but much music was just getting started then but we were i just want i didn't want to interrupt you or anything but when mtv was created loverboy handed them three videos the first week they were open and when you're a company that's got a 24-hour video music cycle you need as much music and videos as possible. So they just played us back and forth and back and forth. And that's before MTV even started. So we had our start in the States. That's why we became so famous down there. Yeah, and it did. So, but, I, but I do want to ask you this based on the Canadian point of view is how important for, for Loverboy, other than the fact that you had all this great success with MTV, but how important was Canadian content or CanCon? Is that something that helped move the band forward? Is that something that in this day and age, 2019, is still necessary? Or has it always been sort of this nonsensy thing that, well, you know, listen, a good band is a good band. Brian Adams would have made it without that. Loverboy would have made it without that. Honeymoon Suite would have been fine. Um, how do you sort of take the, the Canadian content rules and CanCon? Uh, it's never been a huge issue for me or the band. I, uh, I 100% agree that we would have been played... Uh, thankfully, I think no matter where we are, we get played in all kinds of different countries, and they don't have rules about that. Um, I don't know. I think it helped some of the Canadian bands, but I think it also hindered. I think it hindered some of the bands. I'll give you an example of bands that I thought could have been huge in the United States had they not just been forced to stay in Canada. One of them is Trooper. Trooper would have been huge in the United States had they been uh, you know, allowed to just go and, you know, grow and have a record company and management that was all working on the same team. Another band I think is 100% fabulous is Honeymoon Suite. They would have been huge in the States had they had the chance to go down there. And I think some of those CanCon things just made people stay in Canada because they felt like warm and cuddly, but it was never anything that I felt. Um, the band kind of sold lots of records in Canada, but it broke out in the United States and we were busy as heck. And it never really meant anything to us, CanCon, you know, either way. I'm not mad at it, but I, I'm not happy about it either. I don't really care. You know, and, and I've heard that before, especially from Lawrence Gowan, who, who, who said that he was sort of sandboxed uh, and was deter was uh, what well, was not not determined, but. Uh, the record company had said, you're going to be a Canadian artist and we're just going to work you in Canada. And it's just like, oh, really? That's that's too bad. Um, let me move on here just real quick because I'm all over the place. Uh, 2004, you release uh, Renovation, a solo album, your only solo album. Um, talk to me about the time because if you listen to the album, it's a it's a rock album. It's an arena rock album. It is it is sort of lover boy without the band, if I'm allowed to say that without being disparaging. What was the con the concept before that? Was it behind that? Was it just sort of to go off and and just say your own thing without having to play by anybody else's rules, 
Or was it like, well, Lover Boy is not really doing anything, so I'm going to go. Uh, and do we see another one at some point? Do you still have that, that fire inside of you to step out and say, hey, this is Mike Reno music? You know what's funny is I actually did this just because I felt like doing something. I uh, I was working with a friend down in California. We came up with some great songs. His name is Mark Spiro. And we ended up just banging it off. I never had a record deal or anything. And a matter of fact, I never really released this with a record company. This just kind of it shows up every once in a while on the Internet. I can honestly say that I never released a solo album because it wasn't a released solo album with a record company. It was just something I did. And at the time, it was, you know, you had some time and you had a bit of money on you. Because back then, it cost a lot of money to record. It's not so much these days because of the way things have changed in the business with digital and all that. But I guess it was just a labor of love, and I can definitely see myself doing it again. Yeah, I certainly hope you, you get to it, because it's a great album. Uh, and then I just want to, uh, before we wrap up, because I see we're down to about four minutes, the uh, the album Get Lucky, ubiquitous. The cover is as famous as can be, and working for the weekend is just everywhere. Uh, just a little memory about that album and putting it together at the time, after Loverboy came out in 1980. This is the second one. What kind of pressures are the band facing? Is this... Is this sort of the do or die album? Is this the, hey, we got to get it straight? And and then just a little bit about working for the weekend and how that one just became everything. I mean, you couldn't see a movie in the 80s without being on, on a soundtrack, basically. Um, just, just... <laughs> you know what that is to me? That's just like a compliment. It's like saying, we love these guys. We love this stuff. And you know what? Some of the stuff is is perfect. It's just a, it's a timing thing. There's certain parts, there's certain kinds of movies that can really use the high-energy songs with the positive lyrics, and that's really what we were. We're high-energy, positive lyrics, and occasionally we come up with a pretty good ballad, you know? Yeah, and and they work out They work out great. Now, uh, we haven't talked about Moxie. You did that album with them, but I, but I do want to ask you about, because you said on the plane, um, the leg gets sore and stuff. In terms of getting older, and we all get older, my, my neck, my shoulder, it, just, it drives me crazy. Um as a vocalist, what do you do to sort of conserve or protect your voice? Because you have a very distinct voice, but your songs are high energy. You're, I don't want to say you're out there screaming, but you're certainly not whispering when you're out there. What do you do to keep the instrument in tip-top shape? Well, for many years, I didn't really do anything, to be honest with you. I was just fortunate to have a voice. But I don't, I'm a, I kind of don't, I'm a kind of a quiet guy. I mean, I'm here talking to you now. But a lot of the times during the day, I'm just quiet. I stay to myself. I don't really yak it up too much, especially when I'm on tour. But I also have been getting into doing some vocal warm-up exercises now. I basically just downloaded a warm-up vocal warm-up exercise off the Internet, and it's a 20-minute run, and I've been doing that in my hotel rooms right after a hot shower. And now I'm thinking, to be honest, I, I hope I can say this and get away with it, I think I'm singing better now than I ever have. Y- yeah. Uh, you know, like, again, I saw you in uh, San Yasen a couple of years ago, and and how can I describe this without uh, sounding s- silly? But but there's a, a gravitas to the voice. There's a, there's a there's a there's a there's a maturity to the voice that just sounds right for the songs. And that's not to put down what you were doing before, but they're just I don't know. It just sounds right. It just sounds really really right. And you know, hey, keep it up. Um, Thank you. Hey, that's a great, great album title. Keep it up. (laughs) 
Isn't it though? I think we should. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and I see we're, we're we're just about out of time, and and I know that you've got other stuff to do. But uh, Paul Dean, of course, has been with you as from the beginning, and. Every time I've wanted to interview Loverboy, I've always had a chance to talk to Paul because they always say, well, Mike doesn't really like doing interviews, doesn't like to talk, but here we got you today. But just talk to me a little bit about the the personal and also working relationship with Paul. You know, what does he mean? Because I know everybody has a fight here and there and, and bands disagree, but what has he meant to you over these last 40 years on a personal level, but also on a professional level? I love Paul Dean. He's a great guy. Uh, him and I have been through a lot together, and we always remain friends. We've remained friends for 41 years. I found him uh, in a sad situation. He'd left a band not to his doing. He was basically asked not to return home to one of what I thought Canada was one of their best bands, Streetheart. He was basically kicked out of that band. When I found Paul, he was in such a, a bad place. And I'm a pretty up guy, and I just tried to make him feel good and feel loved. And I said, let's write some songs and let's get back into it, you know, jump back on the horse. And he said, I don't even have any equipment, man. They took all my equipment. It was a really sad, sad story. And so him and I bonded back then, and we've been tight ever since. We make all the decisions, him and I. We talk about everything to do with the band. We usually write the songs together. If he writes one, I write one. We both write together. Uh, Doug participates in the writing a lot of times but paul and i go back we're like definitely like brothers we see things the same way we're a bit of the yin and yang he goes this way i go that way we meet in the middle and it's been working and, and okay so I'll, I'll ask you this then uh and then i'll i promise i will finish because i know your time is is limited but in 78 you do the under the lights album with moxie it didn't go the way it should have was that a learning experience was that the motivator to go find Paul and to go start Loverboy? Was that the one? Because at the time, were you planning on being in your own band or were you planning on just being a singer in a band? If you know what I mean. Uh, it was a huge honor for Moxie to ask me to join, right. and they did. But it also came with a lot of responsibility that I wasn't really completely aware of until I was knee deep inside the organization. And they basically kind of wanted a new inspiration. And, you know, I don't know if you notice, I wrote every song with one of the guys. I wrote every song on the album. It was like, it wasn't like coming, just singing the band. They wanted a whole different direction. So, and I didn't really, I wasn't at the time, I wasn't the uh, prolific songwriter. I, I basically cut my teeth with the Moxie group. And I, I, I soon learned there was a way I like to do things and a way I don't like to do things. When they went in the recording studio, which I was honored to be there, with a famous producer, Jack Richardson, they were on such a tight budget, they would let me sing the song once. And I said, I'd like to sing it again. We don't have time. It was just like do the whole album in 20 minutes kind of thing. And I was just, I was kind of miffed about that. And so, but I was happy, you know, I was happy to be in the band, happy to join in and happy to write songs with them. And then we toured and I went to a point where after three years together, they, I, I, I felt that that's as far as they wanted to go. And I had feelings of going a lot further. I don't know why, I just did. So I headed back from Toronto. I headed back across the country. And it was just a fluke that I ran into Paul Dean. So really, you got to thank your lucky stars. It was just kind of a magic moment. And uh, after running into him, we've been together for 41 years. It's, it's really unbelievable. It really is, and uh, hopefully we will see you in uh, Montreal at some point, or certainly in, in the province again, and uh, 
Folks, check uh, the Loverboy website. There are dates that run currently all the way through September, as we say in Montreal, Mike. Uh, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. And absolute pleasure to to finally get an interview with you. I, I Like I said, I, we've met, but we've never done this, and this was a big thrill for me. Merci. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Cheers. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk.